Hey, it's Tuesday. The new episode of Two Degrees Hotter is out. It's my favorite Gen Z lifestyle and self-development podcast. I'm on my way over. Let's listen to the latest episode. Hello, everyone, and good morning. I know. I was going to say good morning, but I was like, (laughs) it's not necessarily morning to you. But. Yeah, but it's morning to us if you know Anya and I are after work recording girlies, uh, but we're coming at you live. It's like 8 a.m. 7.56, yep. to be exact. And I will say, um, this always feels like a better idea before we do it. <laughs> yeah. Like you would yeah. think we would learn by now, like that it's not actually ideal, but here we are. I feel like we only ever do it, though. I don't want to say dire circumstances because there's never a dire circumstance, but we only ever do it when we're like, God, oh, this is probably – Yeah, there's like really no other time. the best time. Yeah. yeah. Um, for context, we leave for Portugal – today's a Monday. We leave for Portugal on Friday. So we're mm-hmm. still sort of batch recording to make sure that we're all set um, through Portugal and – with this week, we're both just so busy after work, like with various appointments and packing and general getting our shit together before we leave that we were like, let's just bang it out Monday morning. Yeah. And it gives me time to edit it before we leave too. Yeah. I, wasn't, I don't really trust that I'll have time there or that the Wi-Fi will be good. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So here we are, bright and early, pre-work recording. Yeah. It's a Monday. <laughs> Overall, a, brutal yeah. circumstances. <laughs> yeah, truly. We're really it's like a really cold day. <laughs> they hate to see a girl boss winning, you know, but here we are. I think we might be girl bossing too close to the sun right now. <laughs> yeah, truly. <laughs> um, but today's episode, we are talking about finances again. So we are going to do kind of an episode about money mindset which is essentially just, you know, school of thought that has to do with like your beliefs and your attitude about money. So we're going to talk about like qualities of different mindsets, how they're formed. And then we're going to answer some questions about our own mindsets. So basically we found some questions that are like kind of journaling questions to like help you reflect. So we're going to answer them live and we'll have them listed in the description too, so that you guys can reflect on them. And then we're going to talk about how to improve your money mindset because love it. I think money is something that most of us have some level of stress about. So yeah. it's good to be intentional towards. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a good episode. We're not turning into a finance podcast because I feel like we have two financial oh, episodes yeah. close Definitely together. Not. But that's just because I got COVID um, and that's what Anya wanted to do her solo on while I was dying. So don't worry about that. Um, but if you're into the money stuff, this is going to be a great episode. I'm excited to, I definitely like reflected and was like, Mm -hmm. Hmm, like some stuff that like, I was surprised at what like my knee jerk answer to some of the questions were. So hopefully you guys find it helpful. Yes. And I, I gave this disclaimer when I did my solo, but like, we are not financial experts. (laughs) Yeah. We, in fact, we barely know what we're doing, (laughs) but we kind of know what we're doing a little bit. We at least least know our mindsets. Yeah. We have anecdotal advice that we can give. Yeah. But that's all. See a financial expert if you have any more serious or complicated questions. Thank you. That's like what my my Bank of America guy that I work with, or I guess Merrill guy, um, he always – it's like so awkward. He like is obligated to give like a 
like a verbal disclaimer before we start talking uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so cringe. Like we'll just be having like a normal conversation. I'm like, Oh, like how's your kids, whatever. And then he's like, good, good, good. So before we get into things, you know that I have to tell you that I am not a like qualified <laughs> financial one. I'm on a, can't give you tax advice. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I know. You're like cool. amazing. Thanks. Yeah. It's like it's so like, awkward. I've been seeing you for a year. I get it. Yeah. It's fine. very weird. But anyways, before we get into talking about our money mindsets, Let's do our week in review. So I actually have kind of a big like life update for mine. I got a promotion and I start today. <laughs> it's the day we're Woo. recording this. Um, and this has actually been in the works for like so long like yeah behind the scenes um I first got like wind of it in I think like July was the first time that like my manager had brought it up with me and there were a lot of steps to get to here some involving some like decision making on my part and like informational interviews talking to people kind of like working together on like the job description getting it approved by like all the right people so it's been like it's been like three four months since I first found out that this was like a potential opportunity but the day that we're the day that this episode comes out is the day that it's being like announced publicly. So um, I had to like time that right. But basically my new title will be chief of staff, um, which is kind of like an evolution of the things I've been doing lately. Like I've been doing a lot of like kind of operations and like organizational effectiveness kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So now it's just kind of like a, a title to like reflect that and obviously came with a little bit of a, pay boost which I appreciate and it's really funny because I remember when we recorded so we recorded the life audit episode just to give you guys context for like how long ago this was we recorded the life audit episode and in that episode I made a joke about how like I'm happy with how things are going but I would like to make more money like I like made that comment and then I think it was like that week that this got brought up to me and I was like okay universe like like, asking you shall receive like I should say things more often literally literally (laughs) Um, so I actually pulled up my like job description so that I can tell you guys like overall what what I'm going to be doing. Um, but basically, yeah, it's like a combination of project management, like overseeing projects that are happening across the organization and like making sure that people are talking to the right people and no one's like creating like duplicative efforts and stuff like that. Um, organizational effectiveness, operations, kind of like streamlining every procedure possible, um, and then like direct support and collaboration with our executive director, who's my boss, who's been my boss, um, about kind of like strategizing, communicating important information with people. So I feel like I'm just like throwing out buzzwords. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just That's like, like what a job description is though. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, but yeah, so that'll be interesting. I'll keep you guys posted on how it goes. I mean, I don't yeah. know if it'll be like, I think I'll just have more responsibilities, but I'm not anticipating like a humongous Change. shift in my day to day right now, because like I said, I was kind of already working on a lot of this stuff. I just didn't have like the title to reflect it. So I think I'll just get like pulled into more of what I've been exposed to right now. But yeah. So that's it for me. <laughs> Woo! Well, number one, congratulations. Oh, thanks. Number two, I'm kind of surprised that you're starting it like the week before we leave. Me too. I'm yeah, surprised same. That, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, my, hey, like. I agree. I kind of figured like 
wouldn't it make sense to just like batch it all with me coming back and like announcing yeah. it to the team? Because it feels a little disjointed in that, yes, I'm going on vacation next week. And also uh, the team isn't like, they're not aware right now that I'm yeah. getting like my salary is starting now, but it's not like publicly okay. announced. So yeah, I agree. But I think it was a combination of my boss just like really wanted to like be justified in looping me into stuff sooner than later. Sure. And then also I think she wanted me to get paid the higher salary sooner than later, which I appreciate. So <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say when you said that, I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Like, that's pretty nice to just get that out of the way. And then it kind of gives her the week while you're gone to like maybe start to plant the seed with your coworkers of like, yeah, oh, this organizational shift is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Not an organizational shift. It's <laughs> kind of what it is. You're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? What can I say? Um. For me, I did not get a promotion. No, I'm <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not kidding. I You're didn't like, get a promotion, but <laughs> You're like an I'm fair. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like this week I really got into the fall spirit. It got I don't know about you. I feel like it went from like summer weather to literally frigid. Yeah, because there's usually like, like September is usually an in between. It's like the kind of thing where you're it's like, like it's so hard 70s. to dress. Yeah, because you're yeah. like, it's so cold in the morning, but so hot in the afternoon. I'm like, we totally skipped that this year. Just yeah, cold. it like the first half of September was really hot, and then the second half has been like 55. Yeah, and I'm like, like hmm. The calendar literally says like 50 every day, and when I woke up this morning yeah. and checked the temperature, it was like 42. I was like, um, okay. Yeah, I'm like winter. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, but yesterday I went apple picking. I went to um Parley Farms in Tingsboro, which is a favorite amongst Anya and I. It's a great farm. They have apple picking, obviously. Um, a pumpkin patch, they have uh flower picking, so you can like make your own bouquet. Uh they have animals, they have goats and bunnies, and they have like a little farm stand where they sell like apple cider donuts and like a bakery, and it's just overall really great vibes Mm -hmm. um so i had like i felt like my first real fall day i went with my boyfriend and his roommate and his girlfriend and her two roommates it was an interesting dynamic (laughs) (laughs) um they were all very nice but i was just like this is like an interesting like hodgepodge of people (laughs) coming together but we had a great time um but like i did like the full nine yards of looking at the pumpkins i went on a hayride to get to the apples i picked the apples i had apple cider donuts i was like i'm just knocking yeah checking all the boxes items (laughs) left and right it's too good um there was a moment of so have you seen on tiktok someone like went viral because they're able to rip an apple in half with their bare hands mm-hmm. no i haven't seen that yeah i'm not on that side of tiktok either it's for the best <laughs> but apparently this was known um, oh, okay and so naturally what did my boyfriend zach and his roommate nick decide to do they're like well we're gonna rip an apple in half guess who did it first i mean i feel like it's it's not that crazy of a concept to me that you could do that. <laughs> Don't say that in front of Zach. Oh. Oops. <laughs> I'm like, Nick anyone that can't able... do that is weak. <laughs> so he was able to do it. <laughs> For clar- to clarify, I feel like he would want me to clarify that he was able to do it. But Nick did it first. Nick mm. figured it out first. And he did not like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like it's I feel like it's the kind of thing where it would be hard to like initiate the breakage, but once you had like a 
crack yes. in the system, it would just fall apart, you know? Well, so Nick did it like one specific way. But then Zach's problem was he kept like his – he would get to the point where his fingers would then like push into the apple because he was pushing so hard on it. And then he'd get frustrated because that's not like the way that Nick was able to rip it apart. And I was like, like the I wrong feel like you should pressure distribution. Into this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But I was like, I feel like if you're already into the apple, like you should use that leverage to try to rip it apart there. Like that's a weak point where you yeah. should rip it. Okay. And guess what worked? Nice. Physics. So, and then he was like, so he finally did it. And then he was like, I just have to do it one more time just to just to know. These that poor it apples. Food. Carnage. <laughs> did you at least eat them after? Or no, because their hands no. have been like all over them. Oh, that's well, so tragic. Actually, it's really sweet. It's the sweet part is is that he originally wanted to do it because there were these it, they were called like snow sweet apples, an apple that we had like never heard of yeah. before. Um, and he originally wanted to be able to do it so that him and I could split the apple and try it. <laughs> but <laughs> then you're like, like your such hands are sweet all origins turned into forty five minutes of him trying to rip this apple apart. <laughs> but he did it. He did it twice. So good for him. And it was still a very fun day. We picked flowers. Um, the flowers were kind of dying though. It's hard. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine there'd be much. I think like August is the month that they really have people yeah, do that. That's what I think too. But it was still like a fun. It was a fun day. We had a great time. And I got One thing that so. neither of us put on here but did happen is that we saw Don't Worry Darling also mm. on Friday. That is true. Um, I'm going to be honest and no one come for me. As far – because I don't want to talk about the plot too much and like spoil it for people yeah. that want to see it. As far as Harry Styles and his attractiveness in the film, for lack of a better word, was he unbelievably attractive? Yes. Is he – always unbelievably yeah. attractive yes so i'm like a little i'm like girlies we're being a little dramatic like there's that well, tiktok sound that's like the water yeah like but, gushing okay, so sound i agree like i don't think i think he doesn't look different than he typically does necessarily but i think yeah. it's a matter of how much content we've been given like we don't okay. have all of this video like if you think about it like the most most videos of harry styles are like from his shows they're not like him portraying a normal quote-unquote normal like life so i think it's the fact that like now we have these videos of him being like a perceived like husband and can like fantasize about that i think that's what people are okay up in arms about um but yeah i agree i don't want to like spoil the plot too much but i did like it and i think the people that say like oh there's so many plot holes like you're left with so many questions i'm like that's the point of a psychological thriller question mark like i think if they gave us all the answers in the end like there wouldn't be much to like take away or think about or like apply to society more broadly so i actually like that it's a little unclear like i think that's kind of the point um and you should go see it if for nothing else other than the fact that it's just like visually so stunning like they did such a good job with like set design and costume and like just portraying this like mid-century like society um but i liked it and if yeah. you have been thinking about seeing it i would go see it in theaters i'm sure it'll be on some streaming thing eventually but it was like <laughs> the harry quote where he's like it's like a movie <laughs> <laughs> you know i did feel yeah. that way <laughs> yeah it was like a movie um and yeah i agree i especially because after like sitting with the movie for a little bit I, like, started to, like, the questions that I initially had, I've started to, like, piece together. Mm -hmm. I do wish, 
overall that there was like a little more tying up of a couple of like I think there's a couple of loose ends that I had questions on that I'm like I think we could have tied this up and still had like the air of like mystery and conversation that I'm sure was the goal of the movie but overall I'm like I'm I'm satisfied with Mm. with the experience yeah for sure yeah and I will say Olivia Wilde her character was much more significant than I thought they were gonna be so that's interesting too yeah yeah because i knew that she was in it but i pictured it as like a little like hee hee director cameo but it was like no she was like a main character <laughs> yeah literally literally <laughs> but I'm like it's giving narcissism no i'm kidding a little bit a little bit it is yeah. but i liked her character so it's okay yeah yeah like a lot of people were like oh i don't think bunny was like necessary for the plot and i was like mm, i feel like she was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She was more necessary than I think people were giving her credit for. Mm-hmm. For sure. But anyways. Go see it if you're feeling compelled. Yes. Let's get into our favorites. So I have two favorites this week. One is a drink, and I got this at my local like small business cafe um and i've always seen it on their menu and been like kind of intrigued but i've never gone for it and this time i like didn't really feel called towards anything so i was like you know what let's try it so they call it an espresso sparkler and it's literally just espresso a lot of like vanilla syrup i think they do put some like milk or milk alternative into it and then it's like half seltzer (laughs) which sounds wacky but hear me out it was delicious because it kind of tasted like like coffee soda, you know? Like the way that like a root beer float is kind of like creamy, like has the ice cream in it and it like has the dairy. I don't know. It kind of gave me that kind of vibe and I'm into it. And I feel like it would be really easy to DIY with like the soda stream because definitely getting it at a cafe is not like the smartest thing because they charge you the same as like any other drink, even though it's like half just carbonated water um but it was it was good it was iced obviously oh my god i didn't specify that that would be horrifying if it was a hot drink <laughs> yeah i assumed um and thank god you confirmed that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was good it was interesting uh, i don't know how i feel about see this. i didn't either but then i got it and it was so like it literally tasted like a coffee soda like that's the best way i can put it and it was like it was okay. tasty. I think that the vanilla syrup makes a big difference. Yeah, that's comforting to me. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was really good. don't don't discount it. You know where it's from, so we're gonna go. We're gonna try it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so that was. One. I will try it. I'll try anything once, but I'm just. I think you'll nervous. like it. It was good. Okay. <laughs> it's like a fun treat. Um, and then my other favorite. This isn't like the most helpful favorite for me to give, but um, I thrifted a pair of corduroy pants in like the spring and never really got a chance to wear them and I recently found them and I was like wait a second and I've been wearing them all the time and they're like a like a camel brown I guess I would say Mm um I don't even remember what brand they were originally but that's not like the point I'm just putting out the call to go get yourself a pair of corduroy pants for fall because I feel like they're just such a fall vibe they go with everything they're super comfy I wore them to the movie because I was like knowing that I'd be sitting down, but like still wanted to look cute. So I'm really into them. It's like if I'm not wearing denim, I feel like it's my other like go-to for this season. So that's it. 
Love that. Um, I also have a pant favorite this week uh, that I also wore to the movies and found to be like relatively comfortable consider you know, for what they are. And it's the H&M straight leg jeans. I specifically got like a washed black wash. Um, but if you guys, if you know me, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I like am a ride or die Abercrombie Curve Love jeans. I like definitely have the body type where I have a smaller waist than hips. So I've always struggled with like getting the like gaping in the waistband of my jeans. Um, and I had, I don't know if it's the jeans or if it's the body dysmorphia that has stopped me from getting my true size in clothes. Um, but I, I trigger warning, I'm just going to talk sizes because I think it's easier. Um, I normally take a at this point in my life, like a six pretty consistently in clothing. And I ended up taking a four to try on. And Are you talking fit- about the Abercrombie or the H&M? The H&M. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> H&M. And so I took a four to try on of these H&M jeans and they fit perfect. Like no gaping in the waist, fit through my legs. They did have a little bit of stretch. And I think that's the key. If you're like me and you have like a smaller waist than hips, um, the stretch helps so that you can actually take the size that fits your waist the best and then have it fit through your legs. Cause I did get a pair of like rigid denim from H&M. I did a little online shopping when I had COVID. Um, I got a rigid pair and there is a little gaping in the waistband. I got a six on in those, but I think that a four would be too small for my thighs. But all that's to say the straight leg jeans from H&M, when I take a four, they fit me like a glove. And so if you are like me and you've liked Curve Love, I take a four in the Curve Love too, but you're supposed to size down in those ones. Um, so in like normal denim from Abercrombie, I would be a six. But yeah, I was like very pleasantly surprised. And they were like $35. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm very glad that I got like a nice pair of black jeans that fit me really well for like a fraction of the price of the Abercrombie ones. Yeah. So, I don't think of H&M think about- for that kind of stuff, to be honest. But I'm like, maybe I no, should. No, me either. Yeah. Me either. And then I saw them – um like in store and was like oh these like are like a pretty solid mm-hmm. piece of like black jeans like so i was like I, i'll just try them on like we'll see and i had really low expectations i was like they're probably not gonna like fit me really nicely and now that like curve love jeans exist my standards are really high like i'm not just gonna spend money on jeans because they're cheaper um that don't like fit me when i know that there's jeans that i can like invest in for lack of a better term um that like do fit me really well. So that's something to think about for my okay. girlies. I feel like my – I had a while where I didn't have that many pairs of pants and then I've been building up my pant collection because Same. of that for so long. And now I feel like I am all set on pants. But if I end up needing more, no yeah. Tabs. This is kind of – yeah, this was kind of the last – like this was the missing piece in mm-hmm. my pant collection. I didn't have like a good pair of black denim. So mm-hmm. now I'm like, I think we're good on the pants. Nice. Yeah. Love that. 
So we are going to roll into our ads real quick, and then we will be back to talk about money mindsets. If you know anything about our show, you know Anya and I really prioritize our health, sustainability, and building a community around the things that young women go through. That's why we feel so lucky to have met and interviewed Katie Diosti in 2020, a Gen Z entrepreneur, overall badass, and founder of Viv for Your V, who we are so proud to partner with on this episode. Viv is an earth-friendly period care subscription brand created to bring sustainable and clean products to the hands of menstruators. Something crazy that I personally didn't know is that the average menstrual pad is equal to about four plastic bags and can take up to 800 years to break down. Yeah, and this is a big deal because a menstruator can use anywhere from 5,000 and 15,000 disposable period care products in their cycle's lifetime. And at any time, 800 million menstruators are on their period right now. That's why we feel really great about using Viv's bamboo-based products. Bamboo uses a quarter the amount of water, less land and fertilizers, and is naturally hypoallergenic, breathable, and actually more absorbent than cotton. It's so crazy to know that with every Viv box, you can save 643 pounds of CO2, 607 gallons of water, and 48 plastic bags from entering a landfill. Another problem that Viv is solving for is access to products when you need them the most. I think we can all relate to having that oh shit moment and realizing you're going to have to make a CVS run on top of all the things you're already dealing with. With their subscription-based model, it's so easy to choose how often you want your products delivered and have them on hand so you can conquer more. They have products for every type of period, from pads and liners to tampons and even menstrual cups. Viv totally converted me to a cup user. I love that it's zero waste, reusable, and lasts up to 10 years. Plus, the ring on their cup is a total game changer. You guys have to try it. We personally feel amazing about the way we're treating our bodies, the planet, and supporting a clean, sustainable, and women and minority-owned business all at the same time. Use the code and the link in our bio to shop the Viv website with 20% off, and definitely check out our episode with Katie to learn even more. And now, hotties, back to the episode. Okay, so we are going to first lay the groundwork and talk about what money mindsets are in general, like different kind of qualities that constitute different ones. So I'm going to kick it off with the negative money mindset. (laughs) Um, And also if you hear radiators on me or Kylie's side, it used to just be me, but now you have them too. Uh, Clanking and whatever. It's because they're turning on for the first time. So yeah, that let them be. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The sweet, sweet, scream of a old school radiator. <laughs> Love that. Yep. <laughs> um so getting into kind of the qualities of a negative money mindset, you can think of things like fear or like being intimidated about money, defeatism, just feeling constantly defeated or like you'll never never like achieve your financial goals, procrastination when it comes to finances and thinking about finances. And then I think the biggest thing is really just having like a scarcity mindset, like just always kind of being in survival mode and focusing on never having enough um, as opposed to focusing on like, well, I I won't spoil it. I'll let you give the the positive money mindset. Yes. It is clanking so loud. So qualities for a positive money mindset um, include looking for opportunities instead of seeing roadblocks in your finances recognizing that every financial situation is fixable, Um, seeing the value of asking for help instead of struggling silently um, if you're going through a tougher financial time, except that even small steps add up to progress, and even if it's slow progress, it's still progress, Um, and having more of an abundance mindset as opposed to that scarcity mindset. <laughs> just the constant clanking in the back. I'm like, should yeah. we wait? I'm like, I'm like, I think you guys are just gonna have to suffer. Like, <laughs> we live in Boston, okay? <laughs> These are old it's buildings. <laughs> do you want me to freeze? I don't think you do. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so now we're going to get into kind of how your money mindset is formed. And obviously it's through your lived experiences. It's through your childhood traumas or lack thereof. Um, you know, everything from if you had like a part-time job when you were young to if you had like extra spending money from babysitting to, you know, buy things for yourself independently or how openly your parents talked about money while you were growing up, like all of these things contribute. And I feel like this is like an annoyingly Freudian take, but it is true. Like (laughs) that, like your childhood is like your exposure to money for like the first time in your life. So I feel like it makes sense that it has a big impact. Um, and like I mentioned in the beginning, we pulled these questions from L vest. So I'll link the article and also the questions down below. Um, but kind of covering questions to ask yourself to help unpack your money mindset. Um, and I think these are like intended for journaling. Like I think they would be really good as journaling prompts, but we're just gonna answer them here. Air all of our traumas and grievances. Yeah. No, just kidding. Exactly. That's what we do best. (laughs) Um, so do you want to read the qu- the first question? Sure. <clears throat> Once I get my voice back. Sorry. Still have some post-COVID post-nasal drip. Is that what it's called? Yes. I think so. Yeah. Have some of that. Um, so the first question is when you were a kid, how did the adults in your life, specifically your parents or guardians, do with money? How did they talk about money with you? So I can answer first. Um, for me, I was lucky in that I always felt like we were comfortable and that I could pretty much ask for anything I wanted. Like if there was anything on my Christmas list, I pretty much knew that I would get it for my birthday or for Christmas or whatever it was. Um, yeah. But I did always grow up with the awareness that my parents were much poorer before I was born um, because mm-hmm. they immigrated to the U.S. about um, – like seven years before I was born, I guess. Um, and so I knew, like, it was very openly talked about that they would say, like, oh, when we first moved here, when we were really poor, we did all these things. Like, they lived in, um, like, basically, like, public accommodation, like, housing and um, were on kind of, like, food stamps and, like, all this stuff when they first moved here. Um, and so I feel like I did – I was able to, like, have access to a lot of the things I wanted, but I wasn't naive to the fact that, like – they worked hard to get to that place because Mm -hmm. they weren't in that position like so recently before I was born. Um, But because they had that past, I definitely feel like my parents had like specifically my mom, like really like kind of thrifty habits (laughs) sometimes Yeah, um, that like maybe don't typically, you don't typically see for the people that make the salary that they make now, um, which is just funny. Like, when I think of, you know, the, the extent that she would go to like use coupons or like make a return for like $5 that was like an hour away or like something like that, you know? Um, so I feel like that's, that was like an observation that I always had, but I would say the first time that I saw, like, I don't want to say like financial stress, but I guess like just true conversations about like where we really were at and like what we really could afford was when it came down to like applying for college and like thinking about what is actually realistic and how much they could actually support me depending on like what school that I wanted to pick and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like is pretty normal. Like to have, you don't really have like a macro view of like your family's financial situation until that point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like number one, like growing up and even up until I like graduated high school, my parents and my dad especially were like very much like 
our finances are none of your business. Like that's like they kind like of that's kept not it a kid close. thing. Yeah, they kept it very close to their chest. So I felt like growing up, I like didn't really notice any like huge financial stress. I think they did a decent job hiding just how tight money was at times. And it wasn't until I got older and like started looking at colleges and um, moved out to college on my own and started making my own money um, that I realized just how, sorry, mom and dad, poorly <laughs> my parents uh, handled money. Uh, they partook in a lot of unnecessary spending, sunk themselves into like a lot of credit card debt that they were dealing with when we were kids. Um, but they also wanted to be the parents that like, if we asked for something for our birthday or for Christmas, they gave it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily think, I think it was one of those like, just because you can buy it doesn't mean you can afford it mm-hmm. type of situations. Um, and I remember my dad making a comment when I got my current job at my starting salary at this job. He made a comment that it took him about 20 years after working after college to make my starting salary, mm-hmm. which like very much put things into perspective of like, oh, like <laughs> we were tight on money. Yeah. Like, things were not good. And it's, like, on one hand, like, inflation is definitely a thing in, like, the context of time. But at the same time, like, to think of you having to support a family even now on, like, what you make, it, like, feels, like, impossible, Impossible. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And my dad was the sole breadwinner uh, Mm -hmm. because neither of my parents went to college for context. So my dad went to a trade high school um, and was able to get a job through that. Um, And my mom really only worked, like, part-time jobs and she – for the – majority of my life um has worked at the dance studio that we grew up at but like I think about because my mom worked at the dance studio we got discounted tuition I like a hundred percent could not have afforded to dance if we didn't Mm -hmm. get that like I probably would not have danced yeah um so it's just it's interesting to like look back and be like huh I had literally no idea yeah that this stuff was happening but like it was happening which is like as a parent it's hard to like place yourself in that position because it's like, is that good? Is that bad? Because on one hand, it's like, yes, of course you want your kid to like be a kid and not have these concerns. But at the same time, when you don't talk about finances, like it doesn't raise them to have, to like avoid making the same mistakes that you did. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like such a gray area. Um, Yeah. Which I'll talk about later. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think it's good that you said what your parents like do, because I guess that's good context. Mine are both my mom's in software um, engineering and then my dad's an electrical engineer. So they both were educated in the Soviet Union, um, which is like, it's a different system. So like they didn't really go to college, but like on paper, they did like the most comparable thing, I guess you could say to mm-hmm. going to college. Mm-hmm. Like there just isn't like, the system is different, um, but yeah. it wasn't like a four-year school. Like it's not as transferable as that. Um, sure. So they struggled when they first came here because of the language barrier, but like luckily they're skills like their hard skills were still applicable here yeah you know um next question to journal on to think about is did you have any serious or traumatizing experiences as a child that may have a lasting impact on your finances um I would say like I'm lucky to say no for this one I definitely had some childhood experiences that make me really nervous about control and like things being out of my control but I don't really feel like it translates to my finances in a super negative way personally. So Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think that – I think traumatizing is like a bit of a dramatic way to phrase it. I don't, I don't think I'm traumatized. Um, but kind of surrounding when you were talking about how like the first time you ever had real conversations around finance was when you were applying for colleges – um, I didn't even have real conversations around finances with my parents around college. It was just kind of known that they could not help in any way. Um, mm-hmm. And it was an interesting dynamic because being a first-gen college student, my parents really wanted us to go to college. Um, and it was kind of an expect. And granted, I think I would have gone to college no matter what. Like I think that was the appropriate path for me. Um, but it was kind of an unspoken, like, you are doing that, like, you will be going to college, like, no matter what. Um, and also, we cannot support you through that at all, so you have to mm-hmm. figure it out. And it led to, in college, a little bit of resentment of, like, okay, well, like, I'm fulfilling your dreams and you can't – and you allowed me to sink myself into six figures mm-hmm. worth of debt at 18 years old. Um so I guess this isn't necessarily as a child. I'm like, I'm just a child, only 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but like throughout college and after graduating, the residual effects of the things that I agreed to when I was 17, 18 started to hit you. Like you don't realize how much money you're going to be in debt at the end of college when you factor in interest rates and everything mm-hmm. until you are 22 years old staring at your Sally Mae statement and you're like, how, how did I get here? Am I going to pay this? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Um, and as a um, silver lining, like I've been very fortunate to have received help on the other end um, and also like be very aggressive with saving and putting down a lot of money towards my student loans that I'm in like a much better place. Like I think I'm technically like below the average of what most people have. Um, and so that's great. But yeah, there was it definitely caused a lot of like resentment and like, well, what the hell is this? Like Yeah. And a lot of back and forth with my parents of like well, when we were your age, we were having this problem and in this much credit card debt. And I'm like, okay. And as their way of saying, like, that's why you need to go to college so that you can like get a good job and make a good salary and not be in our position. And I'm like, I don't think you realize that I'm still in your position. It's just a different type of debt. Yeah. And arguably a worse type of debt (laughs) because it literally cannot be relieved unless you die. So yeah, it was an interesting dynamic for sure. Did you not feel like because you have Kylie has an older brother a few years yeah. ahead of you? Did you not feel like yeah. you had conversations with him at all? Like because he was a little bit like he was doing it the very first in your family. So I would be curious like yeah. were there no conversations there because you were kind of like second in line or so I don't I never really had any distinct conversations with my older brother around it. Um, but I think I definitely learned a lot from watching him and figured out what I – like, I think a good example is by the time I was applying for undergrad, it was kind of – like, he wasn't through the other side of his education to, like, mm-hmm. see just how much debt can accumulate while you're in college. So I, like, didn't really know any better, for lack of a better term, applying for mm-hmm. undergrad when it came to going to law school, I knew – I saw – because my older brother is a physical therapist. So he did four years of an undergrad degree and then three years of a doctoral program. 
um, when my plan was to go to law school, I knew how much seven years of school translated to debt for him Mm -hmm. because at that point he had graduated and I was like, absolutely freaking not. And I personally made my goal to go to whatever law school gave me the most money. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't the law student that was really tied up in like rankings and prestige in any of that. I picked – I think I've said I went to Suffolk Law. Yeah. I picked Suffolk because they gave me a full ride. Like that's just the truth. (laughs) And so – and it worked out really well that I didn't end up accumulating any debt aside from interest rates from undergrad um, for law school. So I think that's that was like the main thing of like, oh, if I'm going to grad school, I'm not paying for it. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. Given that you would be stuck with it and having not – like not even with the degree, you know? Yeah, exactly. I probably would have stayed if I was paying for the degree, for mm. being honest. Yeah. Um, our next question is we kind of have like moved into this topic a little bit, but just for your guys' journaling sake, um, how did your family's approach to money affect how you did money when you became an adult? Did you follow those same habits? Did you swing in the opposite direction? Um, so I would say for me, like a lot of the habits mostly translate, especially when I think about like what I prioritize spending money on, like Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about like I was lucky to travel a lot when I was younger and I always could tell that that was like a lot of what my parents looked forward to like spending money on and investing in was like experiences yeah. and so I definitely am like that now and investing in like more quality things um, like seeing the value and stuff like that um, but I would say I'm I'm less thrifty probably because I was never in <laughs> the financial position to feel like I had to be that way like when they talk yeah. about stories of when they first moved here and like the things that they ate and the way that they used to like grocery shop and all these things, like I just cannot even imagine. So like it makes sense that like my mom's down to drive an hour out of her way to get like $7 back. Whereas I'm like, my time is worth more than that. Like I just have a different perspective on on that kind of thing. Um, and I also think I'm trying to be a little more risky, like in a good way when it comes to like investments, because I think that's like one thing that I have seen in my parents is probably because they weren't always financially secure is like wanting to like hold on to the money that they do have and not mm-hmm. investing it. Um, and also because like I'm, there's also factors of like getting into the market later, like closer to retirement. It's like, obviously you want to be less risky and stuff like that too. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, just like a hesitation to like take any financial risk, um, which makes sense. But I think for me, like I'm in a position where I can and like should take more financial risk. And that's not really something that they have been able to like educate me on a ton, which I don't blame them for, but just something to like think about is like, I don't really, I never learned from them like necessarily how to like invest in that kind of thing. Like that was something that I had to seek out on my own because they were never, they weren't in the position to do it until they were close to retirement and felt like too nervous too, I guess. Um, Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I think I said swing in the opposite direction of my parents, but truthfully, I don't even know if that's the case because my parents were never and still to this day aren't as open about finances. So I have no idea if they have a Roth IRA or Mm. a high yield savings, but those were all things that like I learned on my own as an adult and learned that I should be doing and I kind of just took matters into my own hands and realized that like if I want to have control over my finances and be financially literate, um, at least enough to like have my bases covered, then I would kind of just have to do it on my own and 
this might, this might sound bad, but I, I don't look to my parents for any sort of financial advice, like, ever. Mm. Like, I don't really have any interest. Like, I had no interest in being like, oh, mom and dad, do you think I should open a Roth IRA? Like, do you think that's a good investment? Because I don't necessarily trust that they actually know what is and isn't a good move. So I, like, educated myself and mm-hmm. looked to other people, like, even to Anya, who has already opened – she opened her Roth IRA before I did. And, you know, I've – yeah, just educating myself. Um, so I don't want to say I'm swinging in the exact opposite direction. Maybe they do have this stuff, you know, laid out. And if so, good for them. Um, but I just – I have I have no idea. And I, I knew that I had to figure it out for myself. But I will say that my mom and I do both love to shop. We <laughs> love a little treat. Yeah. Uh, so I got that from my mom. <laughs> yeah. I feel like now that you say that, for me, it's like – I, I would say, like, finances weren't, like, a – they were never a closed topic of, like, discussion in my household, but it would, like mm-hmm. – it wasn't something that I was proactively talked to about. Like, it would be – like, mm-hmm. for example, when I opened my Roth and stuff like that, like, I did talk to my parents and they did have, like, opinions and, like, insights, but it was because I, like, asked them. It wasn't like they told me this is a good thing for you to be doing. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't yeah. – it was more of a reactive yeah. education than a proactive yeah. education, which also, like, yeah. I think so much of my experience is just blanketed by the fact that my parents are immigrants. Like, it's such a different experience to not be raised, like, in this country and to have to yeah. learn all this stuff so late in life. Like, I cannot even imagine. So, like, yeah. I don't want this episode to come across like we're, like, blaming our parents for anything. Like, I think no, everyone's no, doing no, the best no. that they can and, like – we can still talk of like our experience is our experience and so much of it was shaped from them that it's hard to separate the two and like what we're talking about. But yeah. 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 So I hope that's coming across. Yeah. 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 For sure. Like I think we both recognize that our parents were doing the best they could. And also there's ways that we can heal our money mindsets and make smarter decisions that than they did. And I think mm-hmm. the same could be said for if we ever have our own kids, they'll probably mm-hmm. look at us and be like, okay, yeah, like, they did the best that they could with the information that they had, but you can now do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Be in a better position, you know? And I think that's always like how the new generation tends to look at or should yeah. look at the generation prior is like everyone has different tools and like access and just like a different situation. And like obviously the goal with finances, especially if you have like kids, is to like always hope better for the next generation. So it's like if anything, mm-hmm. I would hope that they're like happy we're thinking about all these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Anyways, I'm like generational trauma. Yeah, Um, we're fine. Don't worry about us. um, The next question to kind of journal on, doodle on is what kinds of stereotypes or negative core beliefs about money or financial security have you ascribed to yourself in the past? And I think this one like really made me think because I was like, I don't really feel like I necessarily prescribed myself any super negative perspectives. But I think the one that stood out to me was that like I wouldn't have a career that would earn me a lot of money um, going into like a non-STEM field in a family mm-hmm. of all STEM people, yeah. <laughs> um, which is not their fault. <laughs> but um, like I quite truly come from an entire family of engineers and I've always known that I didn't want to do that. And I think they just had no experience in what a trajectory of like a non-STEM career would look like. And so I feel like I was told from like very early on in college, like y'all have to be careful. Like you're going to start out making no money. Like you're really going to have to worry about money. And, you know, political science majors average no money when they graduate and like all these things. (laughs) Um, And so 
yeah, like I think that was like kind of a back of my mind thing. But I always had like this belief that I would be like that I would defy that stereotype, I guess. Like I always thought that, you know, I would I would do whatever it took, whether it meant like getting another degree or like just working really hard to get promoted and like that kind of thing mm-hmm. that I would like defy those odds and like those averages. And I think I have really healed from this and I have like total faith that I'll always be able to earn my desired salary, like whether it's in the time frame or not that I want, like, I don't know, yeah. but like, I do truly believe that like, I will live comfortably. Yeah. So it's not like a big concern for me anymore, but that was like, that was like the biggest negative uh, or limiting, I guess, belief that I could think of. Yeah. I had a very like similar experience. Um, so my dad, his like full-time job, he's like as close to an electrical engineer as you can get without having a college degree. Um, and then my older brother, like I said, is a physical therapist. So they both have careers in STEM. And then my ass rolled in and was like, I'm going to major in English. And I probably sent my dad into several panic attacks of like, oh my God, what is this silly little arts girl going to do with an <laughs> English degree? Come on now. Um And so I feel like there was a lot of pressure and like kind of like you were saying, almost like fear mongering around like you better figure out like what you're going to do. What's your next degree? degree. You can't do anything with just that one. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) And so I like, I was so proud of myself when I got the offer that I did for my first job and like, kind of like flaunted it to my mm-hmm. parents and was like look at this look at this like I did it like mm-hmm. and um I also like don't have any like real fear that I won't be able to achieve my desired salary um I think I'm on and I've actually been able to have like some pretty open conversations about salary and where I'm at um with people who were in like comparable positions to me um and like as far as I know, like I'm, I did like really well <laughs> for mm-hmm. myself, like where I started, um, and could like end up like doing pretty well. So, yeah, it, it it was kind of a nice feeling to be like, yeah, look at me and my silly English degree and my twenty five percent lawyer degree are out here and we're doing okay, we're doing fine for ourselves, and you know, it's working. So yeah, but yeah, oh, the the STEM fear mongering. Yeah. Like, you don't want me to be a scientist. Right. Like, <laughs> so genuinely, true. you don't want that. <laughs> and I feel like there's just not a recognition that every every career, every job, like, has its place, I guess. is like, yeah. you know, like, if, if you really want everyone to go into STEM, then, like, you're not going to have politicians that we, like, need to exist. You're not going to have, like, you know, like, so many careers that are, like, necessary. I don't know. But anyways, I'm like, it is – also possible that like you make more than you would if you were in STEM. Like there are STEM fields that don't necessarily translate to a lot of money. Like I'm thinking about if you are like yeah. oftentimes like biology, like people that work in labs, it's like I know for a fact that my starting salary was higher than a lot of people that are in that field. So it doesn't it's not so yeah. black and white. You know what I mean? But yeah, well, um I won't like use specific numbers, but I made a incredibly comparable salary to my older brother coming out of seven years of schooling mm-hmm. and a, a doctorate degree. Yeah. And I made within $5,000 of his starting salary. So I'm right. like – So it's on? like, what is this? I, yeah. I just think yeah. our our society like declines to recognize the importance of other stuff a lot of the time. But 
Yeah. Anyways. For sure. Do you want to read the next cue? Sure. So when you spend, what are your main triggers? Is it stress, FOMO, an unstoppable urge to feel a thrill at 2 a.m. on Etsy? That (laughs) I laughed at. Um, So just thinking about a few common scenarios. Yeah. I would say for me, it really comes down to like a serotonin boost. (laughs) Like if I'm ever feeling like there are things in my life that aren't going well or whatever, I'm like, oh, well, at least I can control what I spend my money on, you know? And it's like, I'll make these purchases. And then I look at my credit card statement at the end of the month and I'm like, oh, questionable. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like I think when I, and this is probably just like a natural kind of like lifestyle evolution. But I think when I was like in school, I remember I would think really, really hard about like every single thing I would order. Like when I was like making an Amazon order, like let's say I was getting like a new computer case or whatever. It's like I would research like every possible computer case option. Like do you think really hard? Like do I really want this color? Like how long will I like this color case? And this is like a $15 case. Like it's not that deep. If I don't like it in a year, I can so easily just like replace it. But yeah, like my mindset then was so like it was scarcity, but not necessarily in like a bad way because like I just truly was like scarce. Like if you're not making money, like you just have yeah. scarce finances. Um, yeah. And I think now like I – with the – especially with like the promotion that I have and everything, like I feel like I've kind of swung in the opposite direction and I need to find like the middle ground of the pendulum of like now I'm like, oh, I make money. Like I don't even have to think about it. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe you have to think about it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the other day like I saw – and I'm sure I'm going to like it, but like I was – instantly influenced to get this like octo curl thing have you heard of it it's like a heatless curl tool it's basically just like this headband that has a lot of things you can like wrap your head around i've seen it and it's like 30 bucks and it's like 30 bucks is not a lot of money but it's not nothing (laughs) and like i just bought it in like a second like i was like oh i'm gonna love it and it's like well (laughs) so we'll see i'll report back if i do love it but (laughs) yeah yeah i'm the same way i love a serotonin boost um, I love the little treat mindset. You know what I mean? You you had a hard day. You mm-hmm. answered a few too many emails. You deserve a little treat. Um, and I also think that I just like genuinely enjoy like my financial autonomy. I think mm-hmm. like kind of to your point, we're, we're very new to like the lifestyle of having disposable income and like not living in scarcity, not living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so I just like – enjoy that i'm like well if i have contributed to my roth ira and i have a emergencies fund and all of that why no buy <laughs> why what else am i gonna do with this money <laughs> yeah but, but buy little treat <laughs> yeah and like i that gets at something else that i wanted to say in this episode that i guess doesn't really have a spot so i'll just throw it in here but like i do have the general philosophy that like money exists to be spent like yeah. I don't want to be one of those people that like goes to the grave with like all this money because I just think that's so pointless. So I imagine mm-hmm. like when I have even more like disposable income, I hope that I'll be the type of person that's like really generous and like, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I see money as very dynamic. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have that mindset because like I said, when I was a kid, like I could pretty much ask for anything that I wanted and get it. And like, that's probably where some of that comes from is like, I know that money will come back around. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, we kind of started to talk about this too, but last question to kind of journal on is when you make a bad money decision and bad is in like quotes, um, such as buying something expensive with a credit card or overspending in your budget categories, using your emergency savings for non-emergency purchases. These are all just like examples. 
Um, what does your self-talk sound like afterwards? Do you forgive yourself easily? Do you hold a grudge against yourself? And how does that self-talk feed into your core beliefs about your relationship with money? Um, so yeah, kind of getting towards what I was saying, like, I definitely have some negative self-talk. Like when I think about like, oh, did you really need that octo curl thing? Like, let's be real. You probably could have given it a little more thought, but my, I do believe that like money is basically just like energy and not to be like woo woo, but like it literally is like in physics, like you put in work, right? Like Mm -hmm. work equals output. So like when I'm putting in work at my job, the exchange that I'm getting for that is money. And I can use that money, that energy that's now in a different format for like goods and services. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like I do have negative self-talk, but I guess I haven't made any purchase or like any financial decision that's been so jarring that I'm like, sit down with yourself and like reevaluate everything. Like, I think I'm just kind of like "Mm, questionable. Like we'll learn for next time. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I feel. I definitely feel like a little bit of stress. Um, if I like make a big purchase or like a, a good example is I I gave myself a couple little treats while I had COVID because mm-hmm. what, what better to do than to do some online shopping. And I felt like a little bit of stress, but I just always try to come back to that mindset that like if your bases are covered, if you're doing what you should be doing, you have the Roth IRA, you have the high yield savings, an emergency fund, like all of that j- jazz, then the money that's left over is meant to be spent. Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not meant to sit like you were saying it's it's okay to spend it as long as everything else is covered for yeah um so that's kind of that's what I come back to um to like sort of ease that negative self talk yeah I like that and also I think for me like if I you know to your point had all those responsible financial things in place and didn't let myself have fun with the remaining amount I feel like I would yeah. really like start to resent my like financial, I don't know. I would, I would have a lot of resentment of like, oh, I work so hard and I can't even have fun. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Work hard, play hard. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like Jordan Belfort. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. Um, So now to kind of end this episode off, my radiator has entered the chat. Welcome. Um, (laughs) We are going to talk about how to improve your money mindset. And I think this is like a bigger discussion that could definitely be its own episode, but we just didn't want to like end this episode off on like a weirdly like, and that's that note. Like we want to give some like solutions to like, if you've done this reflection and kind of thing. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about some ways to improve. Yes. So the first way is to have a why for your savings. Um, Because at the end of the day, money, it needs direction. I remember I saw – do you follow um, her first 100K on Instagram? No. You should. I think you would like it. Um, and she's like a – she's an influencer that talks a lot about like ha- um, helping women specifically become financially literate, get all – you know, Roth IRAs, all of that. And I've learned a lot from her. And I believe it was her that like posted one time and was like, you do not have to be saving – from every single paycheck. Like it's mm. normal to go through periods of time where you may be saving nothing because if your emergency fund is in a good place, it's covering three to six months worth of expenses and you don't have like a trip or student loans or, you know, something that you want to – a bigger purchase that you want to spend money on – don't save. Like, cause that's when you get into like the you're just hoarding money for the sake of not 
wanting to spend it and wanting to keep all of that, you know, close to your chest, um, that's when you should start looking into either like investing in like the everyday experiences or like figuring out a place to invest your that leftover disposable income. Um, so that like really blew my mind because I feel like we're raised to think that you should always save something. Mm-hmm from your paychecks if you can and like if you can't save from your paychecks or you're not saving from your paychecks then like you're doing something wrong um but money needs direction you need a reason to be saving um so yeah so don't don't beat yourself up if you go through a six-month period of time where you don't really save Mm -hmm. and you spend most of your paycheck on whatever you deem reasonable yeah i would say that is kind of mind-blowing um and i think another thing is like even if the why that you're saving for feels really far away or like intangible right now, I think it still helps to have that instead of mm-hmm. just putting it into like a blanket, you know, savings account. Like, yeah. Even if your why is like, I eventually want to own a house. And it's like, you know, you're not going to yeah. do that for like 10 years, but it's like, you can still think of like, dream of what your house might look like, where you might want to buy it. Like, yeah. it has, even just if it's so, even if it feels very future, it can still feel a little more tangible that way. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's where a high yield savings account will come in handy for those income rules. Anyways, um, this is kind of an obvious one, but I think a way to improve your money mindset is just getting to that kind of baseline point that Kylie and I have been referencing. And I think we're we're coming from a place of privilege, like as if it's a baseline for everyone, but it definitely might yeah, not be. And point. I don't want anyone to like feel bad about that. So we're kind of talking about like you having an emergency fund, having some sort of retirement account set up money for your bills, that kind of thing. Like I think if you can, even if you're like so far, you know, quote unquote behind when you're listening to this episode, if you can get yourself to that position and then start thinking about everything else we've been talking about, like I think that will help ease a lot of your financial like anxiety and that kind of thing. Because like Kylie said, you can justify spending when you know you've at least covered all your bases. So working hard to get there is like a good first step if you're not yet. Yeah, for sure. And then the next one is to not dwell on your past mistakes. At the end of the day, they've happened. I think most of our listeners are around our age. So hopefully there haven't been any like life altering mistakes. Like we're kind of, we're at an amazing age of like, we likely haven't done anything unless you got six figures of student loan debt, like yours truly. <laughs> we haven't done anything like too harmful to our finances. And also we're at the perfect time to really start to learn about this stuff and figure out if you do have disposable income, the best ways to allocate that um, to set yourself up for financial success later on in life. So now's not the time to be dwelling on past mistakes. You still have plenty of time to learn more about finances, figure out how to use your money more wisely and whatever that looks like for you. Um, so let the past be the past and let's let's look towards the future, hotties. Yeah. Great. And I think like that's not to say there aren't lessons you can take away, but I think focusing on yeah. the lessons as opposed to just like constantly grilling yourself Beating like yourself I shouldn't up. have done that. Yeah. yeah. It's like not that's how you get yourself into like a negative <clears throat> self-talk because yeah. then every time you think about money, you're gonna think about just like beating yourself up essentially. Um, Yeah, for sure. This next one is one that I kind of took from Zoe Pritchard. I feel like I talk about her like every episode, but she really has like impacted a lot of my thinking in this kind of area. Um, So she's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite YouTubers. You should definitely check out her channel if you liked this episode. Um, She talks a lot about having like financial anxiety and like her past and how it's contributed to it and everything. 
Um, and she was mentioning in a re- video recently that she was like, I always had this feeling that like what my goal was to like conquer my anxiety. Like my goal was to like hmm. stop feeling anxious. Like just one day I would be in a financial position to like no longer feel anxious. And she was like, I'm realizing like no matter how much money I make, I just am wired to be anxious about money. Like that's how I was raised. That's how yeah. I grew up. And like I can work really hard on trying to fix that. But like I, I can't look at um, having no anxiety as the goal because that's just not realistic. I need to look at learning to live with it and like figuring yeah. out what coping mechanisms work to like make me feel better because – even if she was like, even if I made like millions of dollars, I would probably still have some sort of anxiety. They would be about different things, I'm sure. Um, but like, she was like, this is just who I am. And like, I can work hard to try to solve it, but I can also just like work hard to like cope with it and figure out what makes me feel better as opposed to like looking at mm-hmm. omission as the goal. Cause it's just like not realistic for her. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the next tip is to work on cutting out emotional spending. Um, I'll at myself. Yeah, like in my literally at me. <laughs> COVID spending spree. <laughs> um, but yeah, try to try to cut emotional spending while also like not beating yourself up for emotional spending. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think like it's a fine line. Yeah, like I think to some extent, it's one of those things that like what money is made to spend. So if buying something makes you happy, do it. But I think what we're trying to get at is like, don't buy something to solve or like, you know, mend a hole in your heart that's not actually going to have any impact. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going through a breakup, buying a purse isn't going to actually like help you feel better about the breakup. Um, You might still want the purse. And if you think about it and you decide you do want the purse, like go for it, but don't think it's going to solve your problems. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that's a good point. Like try to fight the like instinctual spending. Like, and I, we've talked about this before. I feel like we're like, we're big. I'm a big proponent of if you see something and you really like it. And I'm thinking more so like shopping in store, but you can do the same online. If you see something and you really like it, step away for a couple of days. If you're still thinking about it a couple of days later, you probably genuinely do mm-hmm. like it or see the value that it would bring to your life. If you're not if you've forgotten about it a couple of days later, it was probably an impulse purchase. Yeah. Um, I literally have like a list of spending this on and my emotional phone. spending. Yeah. And I think sometimes yeah. it can feel difficult when you're like at a place like TJ Maxx <laughs> or whatever and you're like, I don't know if it'll still be here or whatever. But it's like yeah. Chances, like, if you go back and it wasn't there, like, it's not meant to be, you know? (laughs) That's exactly what I do. I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to leave this behind, think about it for two days. If I come back still wanting it and it's not there, then I guess it wasn't meant to be. But if I come back and it's still there, then it was meant to be. Let's Mm -hmm. mosey on over to the checkout line. (laughs) Um, The next way to improve your money mindset is to figure out what purchases actually fulfill you and focus on spending your money there. So I think for me, I – Like I've said, I was lucky to figure this out pretty early on in life um, with Mm -hmm. the example of my parents and like seeing travel and like how much it fulfilled them and fulfilled me like at a young age. And so like I – Yeah. I don't want to say it in a bad way, but like I I rarely hesitate to spend money on experiences and travel, which maybe I should hesitate a little more. But um, for the most part, like I jump at any opportunity to like go on a trip or fly somewhere like – you know, I I just think that's like such money well spent and always has been. I've never regretted it. Um, and so that's like what it is for me, but maybe like you hate travel, maybe travel makes you really anxious and you find that what you like spending money on is, I don't even, I don't know, 
trying to think of an example. <laughs> like a cleaning service, um, you know, like maybe you have cleaners yeah. come to your house and that makes you feel a lot better because you're like a home body and you like things clean. You know, like there's different ways to live. <laughs> and so everyone has yeah. different things yeah. that actually fulfill them and bring them joy. So like stepping back and being like, what purchases actually make me feel good? And what purchases do I think will make me feel good and don't do anything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And then the last tip we have um, is a quote from Forbes. It is, money is personal, not relative. Um, so I think especially like our generation, we are very – we're normalizing financial transparency. Like mm-hmm. gone are the days of like you should never talk to anyone about like how much you're making. Like you should be talking to your friends and people in comparable positions and careers um, about how much you're making so that you're not getting screwed over, ladies. Um, But I think with this increased transparency, it becomes even easier to compare your personal finances to those of your family or your friends or your coworkers or whoever you trust to, you know, discuss your finances with. Um, And that can in turn lead to feeling like you're lacking in certain areas, envious of people who are able to spend money where you might not be able to, um, and despair, concern, and worry over the current state of your finances and like where they might end up relative to them. Um, but your personal finances are, it's personal finances for a reason. Like they are, your goals are for you. Um, it's not, it, what other people are doing with their finances doesn't affect you at all. Like if you trust that you're doing the best that you can, doing the quote unquote smart thing to do with your money and whatever that looks like for you, then it is what it is. Like you comparing yourself isn't going to change your financial situation or their financial situation at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's not worth it to like compare yourself. It, my parents would always say like keeping up with the Joneses mm-hmm. of like, well, you may be really happy because you just bought yourself a used car and you're so excited, but your next door neighbor just bought like the nicest car and like the latest model, all of that. And it's like, well, if you keep trying to keep up with them, that's how you sink yourself into a financial hole. Like you're doing – you could afford a used car. You like your used car and it's doing what you need it to do. You didn't want the other one until you saw it. Yeah. So relax. Calm down. Don't compare your situations. Shift your mindset from being appreciative for what you do have um, rather than being insecure about what you don't have. And so, also yeah. like you don't see the Jones's credit card statement. well exactly yeah like like, even with financial transparency you you don't know everything yeah you don't have access to their bank account and they don't have access to yours so Mm -hmm. yeah like maybe it was a gift from a wealthy family member that passed away maybe like they got their inheritance and they said here's the car like you know you have no idea so uh, i think that's like a concept we talk about a lot but i like what you mentioned about like it's a fine line for us with pay transparency and not comparing like i think that's like yeah. something that our generation is going to have to like learn to navigate. And maybe that's why past generations tended to not talk about it because it is a hard line to draw, but it's like an yeah. important one. So yeah. And we'll my radiator's that. back. So with that, <laughs> we are going <laughs> to sign off. <laughs> wrap it off. <laughs> or wrap it off. Wrap it up. Um, yeah. Hopefully you guys like this episode. I found this to be, like I said, a very helpful exercise. Um, So let us know if you end up doing these journal prompts and if they help you. Uh, And with that, you can follow us on Instagram. Rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us any uh, advice that you need in our anonymous suggestion box. And we will chat with you guys next Tuesday. Bye, besties. Bye.